Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. I, I was joking with our, our staff team that I, I really don't like the word prayer. Like it's just a it's a weird word because it it comes with it like this whole like constellation of of meaning and um, experiences that I don't think are true to what the word is meant to be. And so when we say the word prayer, it just feels like it's just loaded with baggage. So it's one of those words that just like anybody else feel a little bit of just like when you hear the word prayer, you're drawn to it, but you're also like you've got something in your head where you're like I don't know if that's what I want because you've seen people who are really serious about prayer. And you're like, that was a weird person. And I don't know if I'm weird enough to be that into prayer. I'm like this into prayer, not that, you know, you know, like that, that like sense of, okay, I don't know how to enter into this. What, what is prayer? It's, it's not, this is not rocket science. We're actually going to try to demystify everything about prayer. We're going to try to make it as, as human and simple and personal as possible for us. But in, in the simplest terms, we these mortal bags of flesh that have sentient minds are being invited to live and to enter into the presence of the holy God who made all things. That should be just like kind of mind altering that the God of the universe says, not only did I make you and I enjoy everything about you, but I actually want to walk with you. I want you to know me and I want to, I want to be with you. And so the prayer is this invitation where God says, come be with me. Um, we've been, uh, Joe and Matt particularly, have been uh, teasing me about this bingo card that they've built. I think they're handing them out to some of you. <laughs> if you had mortal bags of flesh, that's going to that's gonna be a bingo word today. Um, but uh, the, the bingo bird for this sermon series in particular is going to be presents. Okay? So if, if, you, need, if you need to get a, a card, presents, write that down. It's presents with a C, not a T. Presents. That's what prayer is all about, is literally like entering into the presence of God. And, and we, we use words, these prepositional phrases like entering into. But even that is not, not really what's happening. What we're doing is we're acknowledging that God's presence is among us. It's stopping and noticing that God himself has made himself present to all of creation. Everything about us and everything about this world that we inhabit is an experience of him. And that he makes himself known to us whenever we ask. And so it's less about us entering into presence into his presence and more just us going, here I am. I am here. I am with God. People have been praying 
since the very first days of human experience. We've got, crazy enough, like the anthropologists who have looked at um, the cave paintings that are like 15,000, maybe even 100,000 years old, in the caves of France, they, they see evidence of prayer built into, like this religious experience built into the reality that we're humans and we didn't put ourselves here. And so we are constantly trying to go, hey, God, person who made all things, show yourself to me. I, I want to figure this out. I want to I know what's happening. Even what you'll find is that those who are the least religious in the moments of deepest pain and deepest fear, even atheists themselves will stop and pray because they figure it can't hurt anything. It's, it's the most deepest personal human impulse we have is to look around and say, help. I need someone outside of myself to come in and be with me. And I think that something's been lost along the way because what we don't realize is that God loves to hear our voices. God himself, the maker of all things, loves to hear your voice. He, he wants to listen to the things that you say. Um, many of you know my five-year-old son, Ike. He, he talks all day. <laughs> he, he uses up his however many thousands of word a, a human is supposed to have a day. He uses them up by 9 a.m. And by Friday at 1 o'clock, I've heard all of his words throughout the week. But at Friday at 1 o'clock, he, he comes in my office and he sits on my lap and he asks me, he's been, he's been making a podcast of Marvel stories. And so on, on Friday afternoons, he comes in my office and we record his podcast that he's, he's drawn out his, uh, it's like a storyboard because he can't write. So he draws out his storyboard for himself to remember his stories and he brings it in. And as much as I'm tired of the 100,000 words I've heard that week of his, I love to sit for five minutes and listen to my son tell me about his life about what he's passionate about, about these stories that are flowing out of his heart. And that's how the Father feels about each of you. He's waiting around and, and, and wants to hear our stories. And, and of course, like all of us have these distractions and pains and struggles and roadblocks that keep us from sensing and experiencing and living in God's presence. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to move past those together in this series. This work is about training us to walk in God's presence day in and day out. Um, we're going to draw deeply on, many of you have heard of Pete Grieg and the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, they have a course called the Prayer Course, and we've used that as an outline for the sermon series. So if you go watch those videos, you're going to be like, oh, I've heard that because we're, we're drawing really deeply upon that for this series. Um, this is not about I don't want to get done with this series and you to feel like, oh, I could write a paper on prayer. I really know everything about prayer. I don't want that. Okay. What I want is at the end of this series for all of us to go, I love spending time in God's presence. And I, I want this to be formative for us to, to be really good. I even, um, I think there's six of us who are going to be preaching through this series. I, I'm hoping that each of us as we preach are deeply formed and shaped by the time that we spend praying and preparing for these sermons. I know that this week has been 
in spite of everything that comes up, God has been shaping me as I've been praying and preparing for this time. Um, we're going to, this is about practice. And so um, we've put together some resources for you. It's at this website, redemptionboise.org slash prayer. And that's up there, right? Yeah. Um, if you go there, it has a few resources we're going to be adding to it. One of them is um, we have the prayer course, like a link to the prayer course. Then, And they have what they call the tool shed. And the tool shed is just a bunch of ideas and prompts and ways that humans have entered into God's presence. And so if you're if you're feeling like, hey, I got to reset this thing and I got to find a way to make it fresh and walk with God again, um, go to the tool shed. That's a great place to start. Um, we have a link to following the way, following the way or practicing the way, sorry, practicing the way with um, John Mark Comer. They have put together a prayer um, practices for like microchurch. And I'd like to invite your microchurch to use that as a way. If you read every other week over the next eight weeks, you'll have four times that you'll get together in your microchurch and be able to practice prayer together. And I'll send out a little bit of a guide to you who lead microchurch this week for that. Um, so, so go to the website this week as you're, as you're getting ready. Okay. Let's start with Jesus in Luke chapter 11. So if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be reading out the New Living Translation. All right. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, well, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Does anybody love the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer? It's it's just so accessible. And, and, and you, you can imagine Jesus, as soon as he heard them say, teach me how to pray, I'm sure he's like, oh gosh, there's so much to teach you. And then he said, hey, let me just give you the basics. And then he walks through what has become the formative prayer for all of the last 2,000 years. We use this, not, not, we do say the Lord's Prayer. We say the Lord's Prayer even together as a community. I've been teaching my kids the Lord's Prayer at bedtime so that they have like a little outline to follow. But it's just a starting point for us to take the words of Jesus and turn them into our own words. And so the Lord's Prayer, we're going to use it um, as a, it's kind of a beginning point, and uh, actually we're going to walk through this thing we call, let's see, where's that? Sorry, it's right here. Um, the thing we call the, the prayer hexagon, and it looks a little funky there, but um, we're, we're going to just walk through this this kind of a, um, a way of thinking about the Lord's Prayer that keeps our minds focused on what Jesus was doing there in Luke chapter 11, but that is the Lord's Prayer. We'll be hitting that. Oh, soon. Here we go. Let's go back here. Just to learn how to use this thing. All right. Um, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to pray. It wasn't something that he, he, he didn't, he didn't couch it in. Okay. Now you got to get this just right. This is not Hogwarts school of prayer magic where he's like, okay, when you say it like this, you have to flick your wrist and it has to be just right. It's not a magic incantation that you're inviting God with these special words 
this was spoken in Aramaic 2,000 years ago. So you're not saying it right. It's, it's, not, it's not the way Jesus said it. But what Jesus was doing was he was inviting them in and saying, I'm going to be really explicit and I'm going to be really clear and I'm going to be really didactic. I'm going to make sure that you don't miss this because this is really, really important. And when you look at Jesus, he didn't teach his disciples really clearly very often. He was opaque and he taught in story and he invited his, his disciples to think alongside of him about the outworkings of the law and what it meant to be God's people and what it meant to walk in his kingdom. But when it came to prayer, Jesus got explicit and clear and simple. And that should tell us something that Jesus wanted to make sure that we really understood what it looks like to pray. Because Jesus' disciples, they ask him for a reason. They ask him because Jesus' life was just overflowing with the presence of God. Everywhere that Jesus went, the disciples saw that he was communing with the Father. He would, he would draw away at times. Um, we, we see with Jesus praying that it was, it was not just a, a one-time thing, but over and over again, Jesus is praying. You see, at, at the very beginning at his baptism, Jesus prays, and then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father's voice speaks over him. It's actually him entering in and, and inviting God's presence in that space that makes this kind of special moment happen at his baptism. We see that when Jesus goes out into the desert, the next chapter, that it says that he was praying and fasting for 40 days. We see again and again, Jesus would withdraw from his disciples, go up in the hills, for a full night and pray. Now, I, I imagine a lot of times what would happen is the disciples, they would fall asleep together like in a, you know, they were probably sitting under a tree somewhere. <laughs> they'd, they'd sleep. And then what would happen is Jesus would wake up and he'd go and they'd, they'd be like, oh, great, Jesus is gone again. We've got to wait till Jesus gets back. But I think what happens, what happened to Jesus and what happens to us is that when we awake at night, it's always a summoning and an invitation for us to enter into God's presence. Most of us think that when we wake up at night, we've got to figure out a way to get back to sleep, right? We've got to go watch some TV to calm down, or we've got to like lay there and just try to will ourselves to sleep. But almost always, I think what happened to Jesus, what happens to us is when we wake up at night, that's an invitation into God's presence in that liminal space between awake and asleep when our defenses are down and we don't lie to ourselves as much. Those are special moments that Jesus took and allowed the presence of God to, to come upon him. And so Jesus, he would go away for all night and pray. He'd withdraw the lonely places to pray. We see in Luke chapter 5. He took his disciples up to the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, to pray. And that was before this this kind of incredible outpouring of God's presence happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. You see that in the garden in Luke 22, Jesus, desperate for the Father to intervene, prays and pleads all night with his disciples alongside of him. You see him even on the cross as the pain and the shame of all of humanity's brokenness is crushing him. His is not to turn away from the Father, but to turn to the Father. Jesus' life was so marked by prayer that this was why the disciples chose to follow him, was because everywhere he went, he brought with him a sense that God was with him. And that's what we're trying to cultivate, is this sort of sense of God's presence with us. 
We want to hear and see and experience God's voice. I know, I know for a lot of you, we're, we're going to be looking a lot at how Jesus prayed because how he prayed is how we're going to pray, just like everything we do. We're going to watch Jesus. We're going to take what he said, and then we're going we're to find a way to, to integrate it into our lives. When I was like 14 or 15 years old, I grew up in a family that prayed all the time. Um, we prayed explicitly about things. Uh, when we prayed as a family, we'd pray from the youngest to the oldest, but there were nine of us. And so if, it, I got to tell you, if you prayed a long time, your siblings would start like punching you in the ribs because it, they're like, listen, there's nine of us. We cannot take more than 15 seconds each. That's minutes and minutes of prayer. Um, but we, we prayed and prayed. And at the same time, it was, it was something that was just a part of our just kind of family culture. Um, but it wasn't always filled with presence. It was filled with expectation. This is what we do. You have to pray. This is the kind of family that we are. We're the kind of family that prays. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. That's what we do. And then when I was 14 or 15, I had, I had these seasons of spiritual, like, just um, desire in my, in my young years that sometimes they were very strong, and sometimes I just walked away from my faith. It was just like this, this roller coaster. But when I was, I think it was 14 or 15, I was having one of these moments where I was like, I really want to grow. I really want to figure out how to be a God kind of person. I want to. I want to know how to walk with God. And my mom gave me this book. Um, and mo most of my spiritual journey starts with my mom handing me a book. I don't know if, if my mom ever hands you a book, just take it and read it because things happen when she hands you books. She gave me this book. It was called um, like it was a teenage prayer book by Gene Getz, and it was it was something like rapping with God or something like that. It was a horrible '90s like kids prayer book. Uh, but what happened was I, I was introduced into the Lord's prayer and we, did, we didn't come from like a liturgical background. So we, I don't even think I even had heard the Lord's prayer before I was like 14 or 15. And so I was like, okay, here it is. I, I know how to pray now. And that, that was the beginning for me of this journey of like walking in God's presence. And I learned this little acronym in my head, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And so like that became like the the framework for my prayer. And that was the beginning of the journey. And, and what I'd say is that as I was growing up, my, my church experience was not fundamentalist, but if you grew up in the treasure Valley, you were surrounded by fundamentalists, by religious fundamentalists and Pharisees. That's, that's the culture of our city religiously. And what I found was that everywhere I went for like a youth group thing or um, any, anytime I was around other Christians at school, they treated prayer like it was the, the cost of entry to being a religious person was you had to pay your dues praying. And so prayer was this painful work that we did so that we could have God in our lives. You know, it was like this, this tit for tat sort of thing that I, I associated when I was young the people who prayed the most were the ones who felt the most guilty and had the most shame because their people around them had told them, you're going to pray because God told you to. And if you don't, then you're a bad person and you're not a part of God's family. So you better pray. And so the ones who were the best at praying were the ones who were probably like Enneagram ones who had a strong sense of duty and they showed up because they knew that they should do it. And I, I got to tell you, 
I've never felt a sense of duty in my life. Like I, that, that's never appealed to me. And, and so when I watch somebody like that, I'm like, I'm not like that. And so I don't understand what you're doing. Um, they would use words like, it's so easy. Why don't you, why don't we pray all day? We should pray all the time. You should have an hour of prayer in the morning. It's not that big deal. Just get up at 5 a.m. You get up at 5 a.m. for other things. Why don't you pray? You should just get up and pray. It's, it's so important. You should pray because it's just so important. It's, it's your relationship with God. You must not care about relationship with God because you don't pray. It's, it's a bunch of well-intentioned Pharisees that use guilt to get you to behave the way that they want you to. And it seems like a good idea. Like if I use coercive power of shame and guilt to get you to pray, then good things will happen in the midst of it. But that didn't happen. What happened was I felt guilt and shame and didn't pray. I felt guilt and shame and didn't move towards God because I didn't feel like I had it. I was good enough to be the kind of person who was a religious Marine who, who got up early and tried hard at that one thing. And it's because of this. Shame is not the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus has challenge and invitation, but he doesn't use coercion or manipulation to invite us into his kingdom. He doesn't use innuendo or expectation to to say, hey, you know, you really should. It's not judgment from others. It's not arrogance. The kingdom of God looks like an invitation to presence with God. I had a, I had a friend in college who um, was probably the most disciplined person I've ever met. He was a very serious runner in high school and college. And um, he became a believer at the end of high school, right as he was going into college. And he was going to take his same devotion to his body and to his running and take that into his religious life. And so he jumped in 200% into the religious life. He was passionate. He was driven. He was intense. He was, it was like an all or nothing kind of guy. And, and a couple years in, he started reading the Desert Fathers and these ascetics who, who decided to eschew like push away the world and the flesh and basically treat their bodies like they don't matter so that they could attain this spiritual higher, you know, levels of experience of God. And he soaked up from that, those books, all of this shame about his own walk with God. And then he used it as fuel to discipline his spirituality. Have any of you ever done that? You soak up shame and then you use it as a way to drive you to do good things. But what happened was he was so hungry to, to perform spiritually for God and to hear God's voice that he nearly drove himself mad, striving to walk with God. He was institutionalized for mental illness because he was trying to work his way to God. And he was much better at it than you and I. We kind of dabble in working our way to God. <clears throat> this guy was not a dabbler. He was all or nothing. And he worked himself to the bone trying to demand from his obedience that God would show up. But isn't that on some level what we're all trying to do? We think that if we do the right things, God's going to have to God's going to have to show up. Imagine that from God's perspective. I'm just thinking, like, in my relationship with Malia when we were dating, 
<laughs> if I had told her, I set my alarm at every day at six o'clock just so I could think about you. That's weird, first of all. <laughs> or, you know what? I sat and I called you and I talked to you for an hour, the same hour every single day. Aren't you glad I did that? They have set rhythms and schedules. They've organized. God, I love this. They, like imagine if if you organize your friends, like you, you have somebody who's, let, let's say you have a, a parent or a grandparent who's in ex, extended care, like in, in, a, in, a, in a retirement home, and, and you set a, an organizational calendar so that people are visiting and talking to you 24-7. Like we're, we, we've organized it so that every day somebody shows up and somebody's there for an hour at a time, all day, every day, because they've organized themselves to be with you. It's like a visitation calendar. But this sort of disciplined prayer life to God, I'm not sure it's what he's looking for because it's still about us performing for God rather than basking in the reality of of our place in his family, in his presence. And on the other side, when you think of someone who never talks to God at all, and they drop by every few months for a chat, I think you'd walk away feeling like, well, that was delightful, but I wish I just had a little bit more of it. The rhythm itself doesn't lend itself to the sort of intimacy that I'm looking for. I needed some I needed some other vision for my prayer life something that that would help me get where I'm trying to go and uh, along the way I found a, a powerful mentor uh, again this was a book that my mother gave me um, when I was when I was 19 I came back to my faith my sophomore year of college and this summer as I was really growing in my faith my mom gave me a book by it's actually a, it's it's written by this group of friends of a monk um, who lived almost 400 years ago. His name's Brother Lawrence. And he had been a soldier in the French army and then afterwards had wanted to pay his penance. And so he joined this um, Augustine Brotherhood in this small town outside of Paris. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a priest. He was just a monk. And his, his daily duties were kitchen duties. He was a lot like Nacho Libre when you think about it. I think Nacho Libre may be actually based on Brother Lawrence. But um, he, he worked in the kitchen every day, and he would sweep and clean and make food. Um, and then he had this, this guy, he, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't very good at the religious stuff. He got in trouble all the time because he wasn't like dutiful enough in his, in his duties. And uh, sorry, it just comes so naturally. Um, <laughs> he, he wasn't even a good monk. But what happened was when he died, all of his friends got together and gathered up his books and told the story of his intimacy with the Father. And my mom handed me this tiny, short, weird, powerful little book. The, the version she gave me was 200 years old. Like it was like a, an early English edition of Brother Lawrence. And I want to, here, I'm going to read some of the quotes from that book to give you a sense of the sort of thing that Brother Lawrence was. All right. His, his, his relationship with God was so organic and, and relational that it doesn't even make sense to us in some ways. He says this, 
He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a, a little act of adoration, sometimes to act ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, other times to thank him for the graces past and present that he's bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Like there's this, he's just explaining, God just wants you. He wants you to show up and be present to him. He said, "I, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking, covered with sores, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. And he had, he had been a soldier and went into the monastery to, to cleanse himself from the killing that he had done as a soldier. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him. I ask his pardon and I abandon myself entirely to him to do as he will. But this king who's filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, he lovingly embraces me. He makes me eat at his table. He serves me with his own hands. He gives me the keys of his treasure and treats me as his favorite. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without even talking about them. I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be, the more beloved I am of God. Brother Lawrence had taken his identity as a child of God and had found a way to live in it. It wasn't a question to him. Let us thus think that our only business in this life is to please God, and, and perhaps that all besides it is but folly and vanity. That there needed neither art nor science for going to God, but only a heart resolutely determined to apply itself to nothing but him or for his sake, and to love him only. He said, a, a little lifting up of the heart suffices. A little remembrance of God, an interior act of adoration, even though made on the march and with the sword in hand, are prayers which, short though they may be, are nevertheless very pleasing to God. And far from making a soldier lose his courage on the most dangerous occasions, they bolster it. Let him then think of God as much as possible so that he will gradually become accustomed to this little but holy exercise. No one will notice it, and nothing is easier than to repeat often during the day these little acts of interior adoration. This is the sort of intimacy that we want to cultivate as followers of Jesus. In the fall of my sophomore year of college, I committed myself to every day as often as I could just remember and to walk in God's presence. And I had a, I had a six-week period that shaped me and formed me in ways that I, I can't even express with words. But I, moment by moment, hour by hour, every time I remembered it, walked in the literal presence of God. And it was because Brother Lawrence was showing me how to do it as I swept the kitchen as I studied my, my awful, awful classes, <laughs> as, I, as I was at work among, uh, you know, I, I worked at a construction site my sophomore year of college, and I was just hanging out with 50-year-olds whose, whose lives had never really come together. And I, I would listen to their stories, and I could walk in God's presence alongside of these guys. And what I discovered is that God's presence is always available. 
to us. And a deep, rich prayer life is not someone who spends hours and hours in the closet, in the prayer closet, but rather someone who spends every moment walking with the Father. Um, this, is, this is the message version of, of the Lord's Prayer right here. When you come before God, <clears throat> don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom, making sure that you see their quote on Instagram that day from their prayer journal. Do you think that God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. And just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine, as you can manage. The focus is going to shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of these so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father that you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Our, our little mantra for this series is going to be these three words. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. Because cultivating God's presence is not about technique, and it's uh, not about determination. It's just about steadily remembering and entering into God's presence. So we're going we're gonna to keep it as simple as we can. And that starts with um, paying attention to what God wants. Um, what we see him say is that he doesn't want a lot of words. So if you feel like you've got to be like really eloquent to pray well, and you're not good at praying in front of people because you get all tongue-tied, God doesn't care about that. He just wants simple words. He actually wants to hear what's happening inside your life. It's just like your kids. When your kids get home from the day and you ask them what happened at school and they say, I don't know. How disappointed are you? Like, I just, I want to know, like, did you punch a kid at the recess? Did you like, you know, did you get beat up by a bully? Did you yell at your teacher? Did you do something kind? Like, I just want to, I want to hear the story of my kid's day. I want to know who they are. Like, I get jealous of their teachers because they get to watch them kind of do their thing. Like, that's how the father is. He just wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear what's going on. Don't be weird because, like, God doesn't want your weirdness. He just wants you, okay? So don't, like, make it all, oh, holy father that art the greatest of all kind. You know, like, that. Like God doesn't want your fancy words. He doesn't need your King James English, okay? The King's English isn't very good English. Use your English, okay? Uh, don't be fancy. Don't be clever. Don't try to impress anybody. And then Jesus says, don't be like the pagans and don't repeat yourself over and over again. Like, he doesn't, it's, it's, it's just like when your kids are like, dad, 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 dad. No, Father God, dad, dad, Father God, Father God. It's annoying, honestly. <laughs> I think the father's kind of annoyed by it. He's like, okay, I'm here. I'm listening. Tell me what you want to say, okay? You don't need to do mantras and do fancy things. He just wants to be present to you. So keep it simple. Keep it real. It's the same stuff. Don't repeat yourself. Don't be clever. Don't try to impress people. Don't be fancy. Keep it relational. It's meant to be personal and intimate with the Father. Um, so it's easy to pray for things out there. It's hard for, 
it's hard to let God see what you're feeling or what you're going through, but that's actually what he wants and that's what you need. And so when you're praying, tell God about your sin. Tell God about the places that are unformed in you. Tell God about your anger with your spouse. Tell God about your fears and your anxieties. Let him see it all. It's, he already sees it. What he wants is for you to understand. And so he wants you to bring it to him, and then he wants to process it with you. He wants, he wants you to bring something to him, and then he's going to say, what do you think that I think about that? And that's where this sort of intimacy with the Father in conversation starts to take place. Think of Jesus' ease of conversation with the Father. Like, imagine what you've seen Jesus praying in the scriptures. He doesn't, he doesn't tell his disciples, give me a minute, I need to get ready to pray. What he does is he goes, Father, I want your will. So if it's your will, heal this woman. He just enters in immediately. That's the sort of ease that the Father wants with us, is to enter in immediately. So that's what the prayer series is going to be all about, is us listening to God. The other night, um, as Ike was falling asleep in bed, Malia was like, okay, we're going to pray. And Ike goes, just a second. And he has his eyes closed. I was like, okay, okay. Oh, that feels like a warm hug. Thank you. And he goes, uh-huh, yep, okay. And he, I, you know, he's, he's got vivid imagination. But what, what we were seeing, yeah, get a little spooky in here, I like it. Uh, what we were seeing with Ike was he was just opening himself up. He was saying, I want more. I want, oh, God. And he was saying, <clears throat> and here's the thing. Ike was feeling like a, a hug from the Father, like a legitimate like presence of God feeling that I have had and many of you have had. Because that's how the Father wants to interact with you. He wants to take you and wrap you up and care for you. So I want to invite you. Would you, would you lay down all the things <clears throat> that you're holding back? Would you bring to the Father your needs, your concerns, your life? And we're going to take five minutes today because uh, I think longer would probably stretch you guys a little too much. But we're going to take five minutes today. And uh, we're going to be quiet. And you can be in any posture that you want, but we're just going to spend five minutes and we're each going to quietly tell God what's happening inside of us. Okay. Uh, he's a good dad. He wants to listen to you. And then at the very end, I'm going to guide you to think about how the father's interacting with you. But we're just going to start with sharing what's happening in your life right now with the father. Ready, set. Just sense of wonderful peace in this room as all of us together are just truly in the presence of the Father. This is what your Father has for you. This is how He responds when you pray to Him. He says, I am overjoyed that you have shared yourself with me. He says, I am always here waiting to listen. He says, I have some things to tell you, 
but you'll have to find some space to listen to. For those of you who shared your pain, he says, I'm so sorry that you're struggling. It's hard for me to allow it, but it's a part of your formation and I'm with it. I'm with you in it. And for all the things that you've done wrong, all the things that you've confessed, the Father doesn't see or hear them. Jesus has swallowed them up in his radiant glory, overcoming death in this world. And the Father has one more word for you. Come back soon and ask more boldly what you need. Father, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.